What does it mean to have faith? That's where we start today. And what does it mean to have that on a journey uh, in a process that shapes us along the way that helps us meet life's challenges? And how do we think about faith as, as, as we go through life and as we are on that journey? That's where, that's where this series begins. To think of your own life and to reflect on its journey, the highs and the lows, the things that have been easy and the things that have been hard, and to reflect on and wonder where God has been in the midst of it. To think about where that journey is leading you, us now, especially now, uh, as we reflect on some predictable parts of of each of our journeys. We're gonna talk about the things that we share together uh, with people in scripture during this series. We're gonna go through some stories of people who have been on the road, in the process, on a journey with God. And we're gonna see where we fit into that, to recognize that some of the things that happened in them are happening in us, but really ultimately it is not just about us, but about God and what God wants for us and for our world. The hope is that you and I would be shaped and formed in that process, that we'd be drawn up into the very thing that God is doing and not in a hypothetical sense, not in name only, but in actuality, in real life, in our lives. In 1993, John Steele of Goodby, Silverstein, and Partners held a focus group. The focus group was to begin to try to market a certain product. And now the challenge with this product was not that it was unknown. In fact, it was just the opposite. This was a household, everyday kind of item. And it was um, sort of on falling on hard times. People were taking it for granted, and there needed to be some kind of push to help bring it back to the forefront. That product was milk. Now, this was something that a lot of adults had been forced to drink as a child. It was a part of people's everyday lives and was being taken for granted. And so, uh, so uh, John Steele had an idea. Before he pulled this focus group together to do the marketing thing, you know, that kind of how, how all that might work, he asked them to do something specific. For a week ahead of time, he asked them to abstain from drinking milk to cut milk out of their lives to see what the effect would be. And it actually turned out to be a stroke of genius because it turns out that this was a, was a part of a lot of people's lives and they didn't recognize it, just how the impact it had. And so one gentleman came into the focus group and described what had happened to him. He'd gotten up in the morning without thinking, gotten his bowl out, poured out his cereal, undid a banana, cut up the banana, put it on top of the cereal, and then went for the milk. And just as he was about to pour it, he realized, oh, I'm not supposed to drink milk. And he came and he told that story and story after story was the same. People realized that they didn't know what they had right in front of them. And it, it became the spark of an idea of a unique ad campaign that would help people understand what would happen, not if they had the product, but what would happen if they didn't. It became known as deprivation marketing where you become aware or basically raise the question, what if you didn't have it? And so um, instead of selling the product to the consumers, milk was sold as as a lack of the product. And uh, you probably know the ad campaign, got milk. If you're a friend's friend's, um, aficionado, Ross thinks he came up with this, but now you know the real story. It became a household phrase and led to one of the most successful marketing campaigns in history. It lasted over 20 years with 350 celebrities with a milk mustache 
asking us the question, got milk? And at one time, it is, uh, is apparent that uh, 80% of households heard that phrase every single day in America. Now, another thing happened uh, around that same time in the 90s as the, we were asking that question, got milk. Uh, and that was the explosion of the Christian subculture. This is when, about the time that I grew up, came into, out of my teens and into my 20s. And, uh, and there was a lot of, of the Christian thing going on as well. So it seemed like there was always a reaction to the pop culture and the Christian culture. And quite honestly, that kind of gets old, uh, really. It sort of takes on the assumptions of the culture. And uh, so if there was a, a, Christ, a, a rock band that was doing a certain thing, then there, then there was a Christian alternative to that. And if there was a comedian, da, 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 if there's a marketing campaign, eventually it was inevitable that somebody would take that got milk thing and, and, and flip it. And so they, then eventually somebody asked that question, got, got faith. Now, I, I, I'll admit, when I first saw that, and that was probably 15 or 20 years ago, I rolled my eyes a little bit because I'm not so sure that we should take on all the consumer, consumer marketing assumptions and then try to force faith into that. I think, honestly, it should go the other way, that we should speak more prophetically to the culture rather than just kind of basically making a cheap knockoff. I have to admit, I, I wasn't so impressed. But I got to thinking as we prepared this series uh, about that very question of, of really, what does it mean to have faith? And how does that question, the, the God faith question, maybe help us recognize what it is? It brings up the question, how does faith really work? Is it something that you, that you get or you possess or you hold on to as if you would a gallon of milk? And you know, sometimes we talk about spiritual things exactly that way, don't we? We talk about it, and, or other people will talk about how they have faith, or they have joy, or they have hope, or they have salvation, as if they own it. Like, okay, I got it, and now uh, it's, I, I kind of can, can hold on to it, and I'm good. I possess it. In fact, in a consumer culture, sometimes we talk about these things as if they were part of our own spiritual consumption. Like we're the spiritual consumer, the church is the dispenser of religious goods and services. And once I get it, I'm good. Sometimes you feel like people talk about these things and you wonder, how, are they, how do they know they have it so securely? How I have hope or I have joy or I have faith. Or maybe you go through life and you feel like you do, in fact, have faith. And, and then there are, there are points that just come out of nowhere and you wonder if, if it somehow slipped through your fingers. You wonder if it feels like maybe you haven't had faith at all. Maybe life is going easy and then it's not. What does it mean to have faith? Well, uh, I think this series gives us a chance to explore it a little bit and to get into what we often call the messiness of all of this. Uh, to, to consider it this way. I want to put this on the screen, that faith isn't really a possession. It's more of a process. It's a journey. It's a journey that we're on with God that has got some predictable stages that we're going to talk about um, and that we all go through them. And it's, it's a little more dynamic than just having something that we possess. Robert Mulholland makes this point in a book called An Invitation to a Journey. 
And that would be a great book for you to read during this series. It's about spiritual formation and how we're shaped and formed in the process of God's work in our lives. And here's what he says. Faith is not a static possession. Instead, faith is a dynamic and ever-developing growth toward wholeness and the image of Christ. As we gather Sunday after Sunday, this is our hope for each other as we go through the phases of life and as you tell me your stories and this is happening and this is happening, what we hope is that we'll find faith in in a growing and a developing way through the journey as we go through the process. And that way of thinking pushes against that whole achievement-oriented, control, consumer kind of faith and instead gives us a process, a process of giving ourselves away with joyful obedience to God. It's not for our own spiritual advancement, but a part of something even bigger than us as as we are part of what God is doing in the world. We kind of, we gather in hope also that the, the things in our lives will shape us along the way for good. That even the challenges, even the things that don't seem to fit into the story, even that God can somehow use to shape us and form us for for good. In fact, this is a definition that I love for spiritual formation, and I want you to think about how it maybe has applied in your life. If this is a journey, then spiritual formation is a process in which you are formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And you hear in that something bigger than maybe you had expected uh, when you... Uh, maybe signed up for this thing, that this is, God's goal is to shape you into the very image of Christ, to, to represent him wherever you go, and that the events of our lives do that. And so in this series, we're going to talk about how that has happened in the Bible. We're going to look at some biblical stories. We're going to uh, look at Moses today. Next week, we're going to talk about Jonah, and then Esther, and then Israel and the church. And we're also going to reflect on our own journey. And really, this is the heart of the series. The, the preaching will be wonderful, of course. Um, it, the pre- preaching will be fine. But here's the real heart of it, truthfully, is, uh, is what you will do in your time during the week. And what we're asking you to do this, this series is once a week for 30 minutes to reflect on your journey and to think about those stages along the way that God has used and is using to shape you into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And for this series, we've created a tool to help you. So hopefully when you came in this morning, you got this. If not, you can get it when you go. Uh, And the questions there are really, there are no wrong answers. um, And really the questions aren't necessarily uh, earth shattering questions. They're simply designed to help you think, to reflect, to spend 30 minutes or so quietly reflecting on your journey and the parts of it that have led you to where you are now. And if you'll do that, there's, um, there, again, there's something for every week, just some questions that go along with the, the sermon. And then uh, at the end, there'll be some, some really chances to make that, those reflections permanent into a next step, to, to be able to own your own story, to have a greater awareness of God's presence in it, to have some insight about what God is doing with your journey now and, and where God is leading And so I hope you will join us in that. In this series, we're gonna talk about that journey in four stages. And so we're gonna set that up today. I wanna put this on the screen and these will be the four messages for for the series and four parts of your journey. 
there is an encounter with God. We're going to talk about that in the life of Moses today. And each of these stories has this. You'll see that there's all, there, the other three parts are there as well. Uh, and some of those stories have more of one than the other. So next week, we're going to talk about Jonah. And he, Jonah is all about resistance, fighting and, and fleeing. When God says, go this way, he goes this way. We're going to see how we all do that. And then there is an element of to this journey where we are stretched further than we want to go, further than we expect that we could go. And that is a part of it for each of us. And then ultimately, it's all about God's grander vision for the world. So having set it up, let's look at the life of Moses for, for just a moment. And what we see here in this story in Exodus 3 is, is the, the encounter that Moses has with God. Now, it's important to, to recognize that each of our journeys starts here. That in fact, it's not in our own spiritual quest, though that is an important part of it. It's not in our own wrestlings or in our existential questions. Those are important to you. But your journey and mine, Moses's journey, every journey in the Bible begins actually not with us, but with God, with God's initiative. My friend, Pastor Wayne, liked to say God started it. God started it with you. And, and that happened before you were born. It happened before the creation of the world. The journey that we're talking about comes out of the very heart of God who in Father, Son, and Spirit lived in complete fullness and now is offering that fullness to the world. Your journey begins because God decided to initiate with you. It is a gift of grace. It is a gift of mercy. Our journey is a gift of sheer grace because God simply wants to be with us and to partner with us to give us meaning and purpose. Of course, when Moses met God on the mountain, what Joe read to us, that isn't the start of Moses' journey either, is it? And we can all think about those things in our lives that lead us up to the moment uh, where we might have greater awareness or awakening to God's presence. But we all have these things that have led us up to that that we often only see in the rearview mirror. When Moses meets God on the mountain, it isn't the start of Moses' journey or God's part in it. God's work in Moses' life was there from his very first moments. Mo Moses had, as we read earlier in Exodus, had almost been killed as a baby, and his mother saved his life by putting him in a basket and floating him down the Nile River. It's a dramatic story. And it just so happens that the daughter of Pharaoh finds the baby and takes him into her household and raises him. And so Moses bridges both people, both, both narratives, the slave and the empire. He, 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 he navigates both worlds and his story, his journey uniquely sets him up for what is to come. I hope you will reflect on how that's true for you. And not just the good parts, not just the happy, uh, the, the, the happy ending parts. Moses also had a past, and we all do. We all have struggles. And so often that becomes the very obstacle to us taking up the journey to begin with. Moses had killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave, and he had fled to the wilderness, created an alternative life plan, and said, this is good. This is good enough. And we all do this. But that is exactly where God finds him. Right there with all the complexity 
and messiness so far from where he would end up. That's the way it works with us. If you think your complexity and messiness disqualifies you, it doesn't. Moses is tending sheep when God comes and he encounters God on, on the mountain. In fact, he, uh, someone said as we were prepping on the teaching team, he's like his life was looking at the backside of sheep, following them where they wanted to go. It wasn't even that he was initiating much. He simply notices that there's a bush that's on fire and isn't being consumed. His curiosity leads him to take a step aside. And he discovers that he's on the mountain of God. Now, Exodus 3 describes that that's where he was, but Moses didn't know it at the time. Very often we don't. It's not until after the encounter that we see it. It's worth noticing where that encounter was. It's not in church. It's not in the sanctuary. It's not in the temple. Now, there are people who have a sense of call in the Bible from holy, quote unquote, places, Samuel or Isaiah, but... Most, if you think about it this way, most of the people that we see who encounter God find out that it's holy ground after because it's literally out in the world in the middle of nowhere and what makes it holy is God's presence. It's worth noting that Moses doesn't have religious credentials. He doesn't have a resume that sets him up for this. He's not a priest. He's not a religious person, which is very often the case. Most of the time, the journey that makes the most difference is not the pastor. I mean, it's as great as, as, as that calling is, it is no greater calling than any other calling. Moses is an every other, everyday guy whose life circumstance just so happens to put him at the right place at the right time. And that is a theme we see over and over again in the Bible and in us. God initiates the encounter with Moses. This is one significant difference between this consumer-driven faith where we're trying to meet our spiritual needs. Moses is not on a spiritual quest. God gets his attention. In fact, when God speaks, Moses is pretty sure he doesn't want to have any part of what God is doing. C.S. Lewis writes this about his own encounter with God, that he was, he was perfectly fine with the concept of God until the real God shows up. This is, I love this passage. He, he says, an impersonal God, that's well and good. A subjective God of beauty and truth and goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging within us, best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at infinite speed, the hunter, the king, the husband, that's a whole other matter. And then he says this, there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him, or worse yet, suppose he found us. And that's what happens to Moses. God finds him. And in that encounter, God speaks to Moses' past and his future. His past in the, that he is the God of his father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's also the God of the people who are now slaves in Egypt, Egypt and he's heard their cry. And he says, I'm sending you with a message of deliverance. And Moses is thrilled to death. He says, sign me up. 
right? That's of course not what happens. If you put the four stages back on the, on the screen again, we see out of that encounter, then the next thing is the resistance. That is part of every one of our stories. We have excuses and it can be active rebellion like Jonah we're gonna see next week, or very often it can be passive rebellion when we just don't think we have what it takes to do what's being asked of us. Resistance is part of the story. It is part of the ongoing reality of our journey. We're always in this tension. We never fully got faith because we'll pick it up and then we'll drop it again. We have to learn how to work through our own resistance. And we're going to see again that more next week. Moses resists. He says, what if they don't believe me? What's your name? I don't speak well. He goes on in Exodus 4 and makes all kinds of excuses. And it says God gets kind of frustrated with him uh, in that process. Why is it that we work against God's work in us? It is just part of the human's narrative. Faith is the process where that very desire is shaped. In fact, we get worked on. We are shaped and formed at that very point of resistance, at our point of Christ unlikeness, it's been said. God uses even that to shape our, I don't want to go to a here am I, send me. And we aren't spiritually formed without that. The resistance makes us who we are. Uh, As we were talking about uh, that this week, we said, you know, in, in truth, all of us would like to be shaped and formed into something majestic, right? It's sort of like thinking of Michelangelo shaping out of the stone, uh, the statue of David in all its glory. But for most of us, what it looks like is the stream going over the rocks and just taking off the rough edges until we're smoothed over. Moses eventually runs out of excuses and he embarks on the journey of a lifetime. And it is the thing that will stretch him beyond anything he thought he could do. If we are living with God, I think that part is inevitable too, don't you? The stretch the thing that will always keep us in tension where we want to maybe come into faith and religion and have this sense of comfort, get faith and then check off the box and we don't have to worry anymore. I think there is this constant tug and pull and stretch that keeps us alive and vigilant and recognizing our need for God. This stretch for Moses is what we would call the exodus. It is the defining moment of the Old Testament. And it, of course, would test his faith. It would test the resolve of an entire people. And it would redefine them, their very sense of identity from being slaves to being the people of God. It reshaped our understanding of God. This is the story right here on the mountain where we discover who God is. I am who I am. It is the story that launches the people that leads us to Jesus. It is the beginning of an understanding of who God is that would reshape the entire world. And in many ways it begins with a burning bush on a mountain with a guy who didn't wanna go. So we see those four things, those four parts of the journey in Moses and in us. We see an encounter that means this begins with God, but look at the end, that grander vision means that it also ends with God that this is ultimately about something that is bigger than us, that transcends us, that draws us our meaning and purpose in our ordinary lives into something that we never would have thought up on our own. It is a story about being stretched further than we think possible. 
and being shaped and formed along the way. And your journey will have all of that. And that's so, again, this week, what I hope you will do is reflect on that, especially on the parts of, of how you encounter God. Most likely it's not with the burning bush. But most likely, just this is the same, it, it does uh, become more clear in the rearview mirror as you look back and see those points along the way where you first thought of God and first encountered God, those people in your life that have helped shape, shape and form you. And as, as you go about life, the places where you tend to encounter God in big and small ways now, that's where those reflection questions will take you. And in the process... Here's what we know. You have been, you are being, you will be shaped and formed. Our hope is that that would be into the image of Christ for the sake of others, that we would offer ourselves to that. Someone said of Mother Teresa that she is free to be nothing, so God can use her for anything. And this is our prayer for us as well, not knowing where the journey will take us together, for sure that God is using it for his purposes in the world, for his grander vision. And so with that, we're going to come to Holy Communion today. It is the place where we encounter Christ in a a very real way. We believe that it is bread and it is juice, but also somehow the living Jesus is present and that we are reminded of his story and the journey that led to our salvation and then how we are drawn up into that story as well. And we join in his offering to us as we offer ourselves.